So, a uh, lot been happening over the past uh, few weeks. We've got a health crisis here in Northern Ireland that isn't a sudden uh, apparition, but uh, it seems to have come to a head with uh, a pay strike at the moment. Uh, we've had uh, uh, consequences of the elections uh, on so many uh, different aspects, but we'll start. We'll start with the the health issue today, on um, mm-hmm. and looking at exactly uh, where the issue lies, because. The pay issue is uh, obviously brought everything to the fore, but this has been a long saga in Northern Ireland and it never seems to actually tip into something being done. Yeah, well there are immediate problems and longer term problems that have probably caused the the immediate problems. Um, The pay dispute is something that probably can be addressed with with money or, or budgeting. But it's grown out of a failure to to tackle kind of long-term problems with our NHS, um, problems of of duplication, problems of care um, not being properly organised. And I mean, I I think we've we've identified these problems a long time ago. You you know, we've had a series of uh, reviews in Northern Ireland. I know that the, the Stormont politicians are very keen to blame Gillian Smith and, and everybody else, but they've uh, commissioned a series of reviews going back to certainly to 2011, possibly even to, to, to 2001, that have said more or less the same thing, which is that we need fewer acute hospitals with a greater concentration of expertise, and we need to shift resources from hospital beds into community care so that people are being looked after at home mm-hmm. or in you know halfway houses uh, rehab hospitals whatever but this hasn't happened because it's unpalatable politically to go to people and tell them that their local hospital is going their local acute hospital is going to be uh, closed down so every time we have a, a review we know what needs to be done health ministers the rest of the executive don't do it then they commission another review two or three uh, years down the line some of these like Michelle O'Neill's um, Ben-Gore review are actually vaguer than um, the reports that have preceded them. So but I'm, ta- I'm taking, I take it that that was actually the point, that it would be a bit vaguer, that somehow it would, it would allow people to agree to it without mm. really... But then nothing happened, uh, well, storm and collapse, so nothing happened after that. But you know, we had Compton 2011, we had Donaldson 2014, we had Goa 2016. I mean, how many consultations and reports does it take for an actual decision to be made centrally? And I, I get the, the acute hospitals, medicine's becoming more complex. People expect to be made better now, mm-hmm. much more frequently, if, perhaps than maybe many years ago. Uh, in hospitals because medicine has, has, has improved so much but you need that expertise in those centres but then you need to com- you know, to stop bed blocking in acute hospitals you need that community care to be able to take it a yeah. stage forward and I think we've also sort of failed in, in Northern Ireland to tackle this culture of expecting to be treated at your local hospital because I mean I, I don't know about you but if there was something badly wrong with me I would want to be taken to the Royal Victoria Hospital or somewhere like that and not um, to somewhere where the expertise doesn't exist to, to the same extent but that um, it either hasn't been explained to the public or um, you know our, our politicians haven't had the, the courage to say it 
Um, this doesn't seem that's to be a, another yeah because this isn't issue. a problem of money is it this is a problem of budgeting and uh, and of structural issues that are simply you know we, we, if you look back as far as you know, Mars Hayes 2001 coming out with, with with early ideas on how to how to change things in Northern Ireland uh, health you know that's a that's a, a a 15 almost now you know we're getting up almost 20 years and nothing substantially has been done well, little bits here and there, but nothing comprehensively, um, not least in the massive, uh, I was going to say duplication, but we've got five health trusts yes. where uh, for, for a, even a, a doctor or a nurse to, to move between health trusts requires a huge volume of paperwork and, and contracts and, and no doubt a lot of time chasing up why those uh, yeah. contracts and stuff haven't been done. So it, it just seems to be a... a, a People talk about money, but actually, it's organisation that's been poor. It, it's a it's a massive um, amount of duplication going on. We've got the five health trusts. We've got, also got them operating as five different employers. Um, and I mean, that my my wife's a doctor, and and I see this all the time, where she has to, when she moves hospitals, she has to um, go through a process as if she's starting a new job. They've been told years and years ago that there's going to be a single employer, and it hasn't happened because of logjam at Stormont. So yeah. it, it, if, if anything, it's just a perfect illustration. It's a, just a, a, a perfect metaphor for what Stormont does wrong and why it isn't working. It's, you know, Stormont gets back up and running. No doubt they'll want slapped on the back for that, but they don't tackle the underlying issues that uh, afflict services. And, and this, we, we've had this morning this letter that's come out overnight from the five main parties, which seems to suggest that by them saying, oh, we'll do this, we'd, we'd do it if we were in the executive mm. and, and, and running things, that that somehow transfers legal authority to the Secretary of State, which of course it doesn't. The only way for this to actually be addressed as a an executive decision is for an executive to be up and running they just don't seem to understand responsibility and authority at the end of the day. It's so easy to say, well, if you gave us the money, we would be able to spend it. I mean, what what use yeah. is that? Oh, There's long-standing reforms need to happen here, and that uh, issue has not been parked, as you say, for the best part of twenty years. So. And, and of course, we, we you know we we start mentioning this is also a budgetary decision. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, the decision in twenty fourteen was taken. It, on balance that if we match pay at that level then we're going to have to cut somewhere uh, how exactly or where exactly do they think this budget is going to come from the five parties didn't say yes we would agree to give the nurses pay because we will then cut back in this area of the budget because that's what their letter is saying because you can't, you know, you have to rob Peter and rob Paul here. You can't, uh, you can't make a budget out of thin air. Yeah, I mean, how can you make a, a, an important budget decision um, on such a narrow basis without thinking about the rest of it? It's it's a farcical letter and farcical behaviour by our parties, as you would expect. And I think it it does then take us into into the recent elections, and I guess. Uh, 
the now that the elections are over, the discussions up at Stormont um, about whether or not uh, an executive can be formed again. And I think on balance, if, if the pressure is kept on on the health issue, that you might just see an executive form. But I don't get the impression that the public is that enthusiastic or that they are, are, are particularly hopeful um, that with the bunch of politicians that we have, that anything will actually be done. Uh, and I think you've got the, the letter there to prove it. I think if we go further back, you know, the, the ability to take difficult decisions, one party certainly isn't able to do that. You know, Sinn Féin put welfare back to Westminster because it was unable to take those big decisions. So do, leaving that aside, do we think there is um, a, a chance of an executive being set up? There's... Uh, there, there's a chance that um, there will be an executive set up on this occasion, um, not just because of the pressure, the public pressure that's being applied uh, due to the, the health crisis. You also have this idea that there there could be an election in the middle of January, which Sinn Féin, I think in, in particular, will be um, keen to avoid, possibly the DUP too. And I know that you've been uh, sort of crunching the numbers uh, from the general election, David, with that in mind. Sinn Féin have certainly been the big loser in the election. Um, and I guess I, I, it's very difficult to analyse election to election. You can look at percentages, but all our elections are slightly different, I guess, in terms of STV first past the post, but also why we're, we're electing people. But if you look at just numbers, the two elections that have the same kind of numbers would be uh, the 2017 assembly election and the uh, 2019 Westminster uh, election, uh, both around 800,000 votes. What you see in that is you know, the DUP marginally up, possibly because uh, in the other votes there were, there were you know, the, the TV didn't stand this time. That probably benefited the like of Robin Swan in North Antrim. Um, it probably uh, allowed uh, votes here and there to, to, to waver over to the UP if they weren't going to vote DUP uh, because they were just not going to vote DUP. The others, of course, there's a lot of other candidates in, in assembly elections. That seems to have almost entirely gone to the Alliance Party mm. uh, and it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, in terms of holding that because they slip back slightly from their European vote this time, so uh, yeah. you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how that falls off. And the SCLP have done marginally better, and I think the the Salmon of Data uh, article in Slugger O'Toole um, suggests that of all the parties that are really going to be worried about an election, it would have to be Sinn Féin. Um, and I think that's, that's because, you know, but at the same time, I think Sinn Féin have the biggest need to get an executive up at the moment. I mean, we've, I think you could almost put the bedroom tax issue as one that had a big impact up in, in FOIL, uh, where, you know, that, given that the, we're always told how much, how many people are on benefits in that city, 20% or something, uh, then that obviously has had a big impact already. And the mitigation package on the welfare reforms, that ends in March of this year. Now, there's no way we're going to get an assembly election, uh, even if it was called in January. You know, So the end of the mitigation package will certainly happen before a new executive, and that will deeply hurt Sinn Féin. Well, 
Sinn Fein, I mean, I suppose Sinn Fein have had a degree of success in um, nurturing grievances in the nationalist community around what they describe as, as rights issues. But it becomes increasingly difficult to argue that uh, the Irish Language Act or even Irish unity are um, paramount when, if your friends and, and, and relatives are um, dying because they're waiting for operations or they're waiting for a, 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 an appointment with a consultant. And you're seeing less money come into your bank account every month on benefits? Of course, so all, all kinds of practical issues that you know affect people on a day-to-day -day basis. And so, I mean, it comes down to will Sinn Féin respond to that pressure or have they just decided that their strategy is to make Northern Ireland not work at all and make the life in misery for for all of us, including their own supporters. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting up in the in the northwest again in Foyle, where Colm Eastwood's campaign and to some extent Claire Hannah's in, in South Belfast was about saving our NHS, you know, very much our NHS. Well that doesn't give much rigor room on, on unity because there's no NHS no. downside. So you know the the focus on the day-to-day -day issues by the SDLP on things that but but also taking it outside the frame of the unity debate. Um, and it does suggest that uh, you know, from the result in FOIL certainly you can suggest that Sinn Fein are vulnerable to that sort of day-to-day -day campaigning. Yeah, well uh, however passionately people feel about unity they're going to care more about their day-to-day -day lives and uh, getting on uh, well being reasonably prosperous being reasonably healthy and um, you know being able to enjoy their lives so but 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 I think the the, the worry I guess for unionists is that uh, every agreement that's been made uh, with Sinn Féin or uh, you know, to get the assembly or to keep the assembly up and running uh, seems to have set in motion the the next crisis uh, where Sinn Féin walks out again so yes. you know uh, the DUP keep giving I think they, yeah. they they've given up certainly the legacy uh, is a massive give to nationalism um, and, and you know, we still see how that pans out uh, we, we don't know how that will go either way um, so there is a worry uh, that the DUP will agree to something that is is simply giving more to a party that really hasn't shown any evidence of deserving anything. Yeah, there, there's a concern that the DUP will show weakness on issues like the Irish Language Act, on um, even on citizenship, which uh, Sinn Féin are desperately trying to add to this round of talks. And the likelihood of that, I suppose, has increased because of their reduced uh, influence at Westminster, where, uh, whereby now they're not going to be sort of <laughs> trying to claim that they have this, this uh, amazing voice in the national stage. But, I mean, I, I, I suppose what that comes back, what, what you can come back to on that point is that uh, I personally don't foresee a deal that actually solves any of the underlying issues yeah. that Northern Ireland has had over so many decades. We might get an, uh, an agreement to sort of agree the difficult stuff further down the road, but as you say, with that approach, we've seen time and time again that the seeds of the next crisis yeah. are um, in the solution to, to the previous one. So the necessity to keep the show on the road basically, ultimately, will defeat keeping the show on the road. I yeah, think, that's, that's the purpose. It becomes uh, a sort self-serving, 
serving self-justifying things yeah. so you want to appear and no doubt Julian Smith wants to appear as well at some press conference so we've got um, saying we, we've got this done uh, you know that the parties here want to say we've got so many more hundreds of millions of pounds aren't we great yeah, and of course, of course, we, we we have to wonder if Julian Smith is going to be here past uh, past February. We should really uh, conclude by looking at the bigger picture in the UK with with uh, Boris and Brexit, uh, mm. because uh, I think there isn't anybody who doesn't believe that Boris will have his withdrawal agreement through by the end of January. That a lot of those uh, little side acts and and uh, issues that might put any delay are going to be swept away in whatever bill he brings forward to Parliament and with his stonking, if unexpected, uh, majority, um, he can really do what he likes on that score. Yeah, I was surprised to hear Sammy Wilson and Kate Hoey and some other um, politicians suggesting that Boris might now renegotiate his deal to make it more palatable. The unionists in Northern Ireland, there won't be any renegotiation at this stage. I mean, he stood in the platform that this was the deal and it was a great deal and he was going to get it through quickly. So, I mean, now from the perspective of of unionism in Northern Ireland, if, if we have problems with the deal, we have to look at the year to come, the trade negotiations and, um, whether those problems that we have can be mitigated during that time yeah I, th- I think there has been some chatter if you like of what uh, some legal changes that could make it uh, that would satisfy the unfettered or satisfy the strict legal uh, definitions in, in, of, of trade uh, in in that it would be illegal to transfer goods from northern ireland to the south therefore that would be a a matter now for um the the, the authorities not uh, customs or or anything else but General authorities to uh, criminal authorities to actually take action in that in that respect, uh, and there's also the issue of, of what exactly Boris uh, or how Boris imagines that uh, the actual trade arrangements are going to work out, and that's still pretty unclear because Boris pretty well thinks that or has said um, that no particular arrangements will be required because mm. the deal is the deal. Yeah, well. <laughs> he, he intimated that he thought that there'd be no need for paperwork or tariffs or uh, checks really unfettered um unfettered is the word of the is the word of the r it, it, we've gone from seamless to unfettered so I, I don't really <laughs> i don't really know whether there's a difference between um between those two words um but will he now stick to this promise that there'll be unfettered trade between Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland to Great Britain. Can the barriers to that that have been highlighted by the Treasury and, and, and other um, bodies, can they be sorted out by the trade deal? I mean, I suppose you would say that uh, looking at it from a, a kind of, a, in a kind of simplistic way, that if the trade deal ends up with, um, fairly close alignment, uh, regulatory alignment, then it makes a lot of those problems with the checks go away. Um, but is that what Boris envisages? I don't think that at the moment we know. We have to see what he's, what kind of Prime Minister he's going to be like now that he has um, relative autonomy. I think one, one of the things in, in the uh, 
negotiations that has that has changed. I think is that the the dynamic has shifted, but by moving the the backstop into a front stop, by ensuring Northern Ireland is within the customs union, that basically um, that will put a lot more pressure on the Republic of Ireland uh, going forward because the last thing they would want is a crash out at the end of the year with no agreement because uh, Northern Ireland within the customs union means that basically our trade is unfettered Northern Ireland into the, into, into the rest of the GB. The big issue then would be the trade east-west from the Republic of Ireland to the rest of GB. And, and that is a big, that is a big issue uh, because uh, you know, the farmers aren't too happy down there. Um, there's an election coming up um, and that issue might, they might be able to pass it by, but the next government will be facing catastrophic tariffs if, if, if Britain, if the UK dropped out of the EU without a trade agreements. So the dynamic and the pressures has, I think, moved back to Ireland to persuade the EU to actually come up with a, a palatable deal that causes less damage. The land border has always been a distraction. They've got what they want to some extent with the land border, but um, not the not the border that really matters, which is uh, Dunleary Hollyhead, I guess, or or yeah. that M4 route through through the south of Wales. I think we always assumed that while um, the focus was on the Irish land border and we had the you know, special special status and, and the backstop that at the back of their minds was always the aim of using that um, to ensure that trade east-west was going to be as seamless as possible because that's where the real um, sort of value yeah. of goods uh, is moving. And the striking thing about this deal is that while they, while they have got what they wanted in the Irish land border, they haven't addressed that issue east-west east at all and that it could become a massive issue under WTO or whatever follows the next year if there isn't a, a satisfactory trade deal. So the stakes are very high for, for the Republic of Ireland in this, in this next 12 months. I think we're going to be living in interesting times. We thought that with Brexit done it would all get quieter but I don't think that's going to be the case for some considerable time. I think we've got a a fairly radical government coming in uh, that's going to shift our politics substantially in all aspects. Yeah. Uh, it'd be well, I, I know it, it's supposed to be a curse that you live in interesting times, but it gives us something to talk, talk about. about. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we'll get together again in the new year and uh, have a good Christmas. You too. Happy Christmas to Cheers all our night. listeners. As well. Yes.